Let's sing together, forever you will be. Father, first and foremost, we just want to proclaim that God, that you are our God and that you are our King and that Lord, you are our maker, our creator, our everything. Lord, we choose today not to choose and to follow our emotions and our feelings, but we choose today to surrender all of our worries and all of our burdens and pressures of this life. And we lay them down all at your feet, Lord, and we turn to you and we lay down our crowns and we give you all the glory and all the honor and may the name of the Lord be praised here in this place. May nothing else be seen nor glorified here in this place except you and you alone. Only the face of our Lord Jesus Christ, we worship you in spirit and in truth. We just wanna thank you for today in advance, Lord, for your word, for your living word for your living water, and for the body of Christ, the body that was broken for us. So God, we turn to you with thanksgiving and with gratitude. We ask God that you watch over us and strengthen us. Holy Spirit, guide our hearts in the right direction. May my mouth that I'm about to speak, may it be your words, O Lord, may it be guided by your Holy Spirit. And may our hearts, the meditation of our hearts, be pleasing in your sight, O oh Lord. We give you all the glory and all the honor. We thank you. We love you. Pray all these things. Pray all these things in your precious Son, Jesus Christ, in me we pray. Amen. And amen. amen. All right, let's all turn to our neighbor at this time. And let's greet one another before we begin. Welcome to our Sunday service. It's good to be in the house of the Lord. And I just want to invite you today to come with humility. And I pray that the message today will speak to your heart, will bring conviction to your heart. And not just conviction, but conviction that leads to transformation. Amen. All right, so the topic and the title of today's message is Normal Christian Stewardship normal Christian stewardship. So let's get to the meaning of the word normal. What exactly is normal? In definition, it is conforming with, adhering to, or constituting a norm. A norm, a standard, pattern, level, or type, typical functioning or occurring in a natural way, lacking observable deficiencies. In other words, the standard, it is the standard. Normal is the standard. So the normal Christian is not something that is subjective. Maybe it is this, maybe it is not this. 
But the Bible, it reminds us, it gives us an absolute objective truth as to what that is, the definition of normal. The definition of normal is the absolute objective truth of God that is found in the Word of God as to what He requires of all Christians. In other words, there is a standard to the Christian life. There is. There is a standard to the Christian individual. So we must stop pretending as we come to church as many of us are doing, treading in the middle. We're in the open field. We're not in that narrow lane, that narrow gate, entering the narrow gate. We need to pick a lane and choose the lane, the lane, not all lane, the lane. There's only one lane. It's the path to Jesus Christ. And we must stay in that course and we must journey through in that path, in that lane. So with that, let me introduce you with our main scripture found here today, found in Luke chapter 12, verse 40 to 48. Luke chapter 12, verse 40 to 48. And the heading says, watchfulness. It says, Jesus is giving us a story. And Jesus says, you also must be ready. Because the Son of Man will come at an hour when you do not expect him. Peter asked, Lord, are you telling this parable to us or to everyone? The Lord answered, who then is a faithful and wise manager? I love how Jesus does, just kind of ignores it and goes on with this parable. Whom the master puts in charge of his servants to give them their food allowances at the proper time. So right there, that alone, that statement alone, he's reminding, he's answering the question indirectly, but directly to the disciple. He's saying, listen, I am your master, and you are my servants. Meaning God, our Father, he is our master, he is our king, and we are his children. He says, it will be good for that servant whom that master finds doing so when he returns. Truly, I tell you, he will put him in charge of all his possessions. He's talking about us. Verse 45, but suppose a servant says to himself, suppose you say to yourself right now, my master, meaning my God, is taking a long time in coming. You may be in the praise team. You may be a committee head member. You may be part of the mission team. Doesn't matter. And a lot of times when we've been doing it long enough, we lose focus as to why we are here. We lose focus as to why we go to church. Says himself, says to himself, my master is taking a long time in coming. And he then begins to beat the other servants, both men and women, and to eat and drink and get drunk. The master of that servant will come on a day when he does not expect him, and at an hour he is not aware of. He will cut him to pieces and assign him to a place with the unbelievers. In other words, in God's kingdom, in the kingdom of God, there is a place for 
believers and there is a place for unbelievers. He will not have a space where believers and unbelievers can mingle together. There is a space for the white belts and there is a space for the experienced belts, the higher belts. Going on, verse 47, the servant who knows the master's will and does not get ready or does not do what the master wants. Again, the sin of omission commission will be beaten with many blows. But the one who does not know and does things deserving punishment will be beaten with few blows. So the scripture is a scary scripture for those who have been coming to church for a long time. For those who are older Christians, is speaking of elders, leaders, pastors. He's saying, you will be judged more harshly. You compromised and you caused the little ones to fall. Remember what Jesus said in other scripture. He said, it's better for you to put a boulder around your neck than for you to cause the little ones to fall. He goes on and Jesus says, from everyone who has been given much, much will be demanded. And from the one who has been entrusted with much, much more will be asked. Amen. So the scripture is reminding us to consider our ways. As you read this passage, we must consider our ways. You must give thought to why we do what we do. In the book of Haggai, Haggai chapter 1 verse 7, this is what it says. This is what the Lord Almighty says. Give careful thought to your ways. In other words, why are you here? Why do you do what you do? He's saying, look at what's happening to you. What is happening in your life, in your life right now? He's saying, consider your ways. So today, as you go through this message, may we consider our ways and see if you are true, normal stewards of God. So let's begin. Normal stewardship begins. In other words, true stewardship begins. It begins with what? Let's go with our point number one. Number one, when we acknowledge Jesus as our master. When I say this, I'm talking about over everything, every part of your life, every single inch, centimeter of your life, inside, outward, we acknowledge that he is our master, our fibing, our, our fiber, our being, everything that we are, inside, out, he is our master. This building that we have now, the building that we're in, we need to understand that he is our master. He is the one that has given this building to us, for us to use. So we must be grateful to him each and every single day. It is our job to maintain this building. Not that we are idolizing this building, but we do it out of the overflow of the heart. We know that it was given by our master and as stewards. Stewards mean, it means you are a manager. That's what it means. Being a steward means we are a manager of his belongings. Therefore, we what? We clean the floor, we vacuum, we sweep, we dust off, 
We honor God. We pick up any leaves, any garbages, and we keep this place clean. So when it's time to give this place away to the next generation, they can adopt it, adapt it, and take it, and also take it further and continue the legacy of what it means to follow Christ and to honor him as faithful managers of Jesus Christ. Before we got this building, in the office, there were chairs in there used as a storage. The walls were a mess. We had to repaint this. We had to put the projector screen. We had to do a lot of work that came to managing this building, to remodeling this building. It took a lot of work, but we do it because we are faithful stewards. We are faithful managers of what God has given to us. So what has God given to you in your life today? Are you being a faithful manager? Are you faithful in your responsibilities? Are you a faithful individual? Are you a faithful servant that the master can trust? Some of us, we've been doing this for a while, and the master is not here yet. And we've grown tired, lukewarm, apathetic. It is what it is. We have that kind of attitude. And therefore, we make compromises. We sin. We fall in sin. And we go deeper in sin. But each day, you need to acknowledge that Jesus is your master. Every single fiber being cell DNA in your being right now, in who you are, we need to acknowledge that Jesus Christ is our king over everything. So the question, who are we? Who are we? I pray that you can claim, proclaim today that I am a true, normal Christian, a faithful steward of God. A lot of people are getting into the business of church. You know, they treat church like real estate. They're real estate agents. They're not even pastors or leaders. Handful of stories, even in the local churches around our area, leaders, elders, denominations, they sell church buildings left and right, and they make a profit out of selling churches. But what we need to realize is this building is not ours to sell. It is not. Denominations have become like any corporate entity. It's to make money, like a real estate company consisting of lawyers, agents, going about it in a worldly manner. But our job as a church is to prepare the church well. Whatever funds we have, we need to make sure that we donate and we give and we pass it on to the next generation, not to make a profit. Why? Because we are in the kingdom business, not the world business. We understand this church has been given to us by God, and it's our job to keep it and to maintain it. It is our job to pass it along as an inheritance for the next generation. I hear stories all the time of churches being sold in the thousands and millions. But I hear only once in a while a story of a church that receives a church for maybe a dollar or zero. 
they get it for free. And they pass it on to the group, to the next generation. I pray that our church, you know, whatever God decides to do with our church, that we will pass it on. Amen? Amen. Pass it on. Because it is not ours to keep. This church building is not ours to keep. This is not my church. This is not your church. Yes, it is our church. But this is Jesus Christ's church. It is his church. We need to understand that he is our master. He is our captain. And he is our chief. Leviticus chapter 25 verse 23 says, The land must not be sold permanently. That's what God tells to the Israelites. Because why? The land is mine. And you reside what? In my land. This is my land as foreigners and strangers. As much as you think that you own this land, you are just managers, renters here. You're not a permanent resident here. Your permanent resident is in heaven with me. It is not on this earth. Do not think that you could take a U-Haul truck with you to keep and take with you just because it's under your deed, under your name. When we die, it is not ours to keep. And we die with the land. It's a circle of life. We need to understand that he is the owner of all things. David says in Psalm 24, verse 1 through 2 of David, a psalm, it says, The earth is the Lord's. And everything in it, the world and all who live in it. For he founded it on the seas and established it on the waters. We can go into the city. We could go downtown. We look at these buildings with a banner, with a name of the company, and we think that they are the owner of this place. We're mistaken. God is the author and the provider of all things. And everything we have has been given by him. He is the owner. Again, going back to our point, when we acknowledge Jesus as our master, do you understand this? Do you know this? Joel 41 verse 11, NLT, it says, Who has given me anything that I need to pay back? This is what God tells Joel. Everything under heaven is mine. Psalm 50, verse 10 to 12. For every animal of the forest is mine, and the cattle on a thousand hills. I know every bird in the mountains and the insects in the fields are mine. If I were hungry, I would not tell you, for the world is mine. And all that is in it. Deuteronomy 10, verse 12 to 14. Heading says, Fear the Lord. And now, Israel, what does the Lord your God ask of you but to fear the Lord your God, to walk in obedience to him, to love him, to serve the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul, and to observe the Lord's commands and decrees that I'm giving you today, for your own good. To the Lord your God belong the heavens, even the highest heavens, the earth and everything in it. And that's what Moses was reminding the next generation. Because he understood the first generation messed up. 
his generation messed up. He was teaching Joshua, Caleb, and the next generation. You need to remember that he is your master. You cannot forget that. That he is the owner of all things. He is. You cannot forget it. The moment you forget it, you will use it as if it's your own. You think that you're the owner, but you're mistaken. That's what the devil wants you to think. He wants you to think that you are the master of your life. He wants you to think that you are the master of the things that you have. But we need to understand that we are just borrowers. It's like if I give my vehicle to Ronnie and I ask him to, you know, please drive one mile a day, okay? Don't go past one mile a day. He says, yes, I promise. And I come back, he abuses it. The FJ goes up to 200,000 miles, 300,000 miles. It's a Ford, so, no, not a Ford, I'm sorry. Ford is junk, but it's a Toyota. So it will last probably 300,000 miles. I come back, what happened? I said, oh, I thought, I thought you died. You didn't come back. A promise is a promise that we must keep. And that's what God is teaching us. We need to be faithful as a normal steward. The standard, the normal steward, Christian stewardship. Therefore, as normal Christians, upon letter A, we see the master's will. You need to be able to see it. You need to see it in faith with your eyes, with your spiritual eyes. Open your eyes and see the master's will. What is he showing you today? You need to see. B, we know the master's will. We know what we need to do. A lot of you know what you need to do, what you ought to do. You know it. You need to practice. You need to put in the work. You need to take better care of your body or whatever it may be. You know the master's will for your life. There are certain compromises that you need to take away from your life. You know the master's will. See, we obey the master's will. It's not enough just to see and to know, but you need to obey. You need to obey the master's will. D, we do the master's will. We obey in our heart and we do the action, right? We must act upon it. If there is no action, your faith is dead, as the book of James teaches us. And lastly, letter E, we continue to do and follow the master's will. Do you understand that? It's not just one time or two times, three times. You continue to do it. You continue. You have to continue on. The moment you stop doing it, you see it all the time, even in sports, people coming back, taking a break. And when they don't continue on, and they come back having a long layoff, we see the difference in their skills, in their commitment. We must continue to do so and follow the master's will. That's why it says in Luke 9, verse 23 to 24, then he said to them, all, all, he's talking to the 12 disciples actually here, <clears throat> right before this was the feeding of the 5,000, and he's speaking specifically <clears throat> to 
the 12 disciples and he said to them all, but again, we are his disciples, so Jesus is speaking to us as well. He says, whoever wants to be my disciple must deny themselves and take up their cross, what? Once? No. Daily. Every day. As long as you're alive, until you die, daily. Follow me. Follow me. And whoever wants to save their life will lose it, but whoever loses their life for me will save it. So stewardship, we understand, it does not serve our own purposes. I'll say that again. Stewardship does not serve our own purposes because we're not owners of, everything, of anything. Only God is the owner of everything. But the purpose, we serve the purpose of our master, our maker, our king, my Lord, my Jesus Christ. So those who know their master's will, it reminds us here in Luke 12, it says those who know the master's will and does not do it is the unfaithful servant. Many of you who are here today, you already know what you need to do, but you don't do it. If you don't do it and you know what you need to do, but you don't do it, you are an unfaithful individual. You are an unfaithful servant. You fall under that category. And it is very graphic, it says here. It's kind of graphic, actually. It says what? It says, beat him and what? Cut him to pieces. It's in verse 40-something. Where is it? It says, 46. It says, he will cut him to pieces and assign him, assign him to a place, a place with the unbelievers. It is one of the greatest punishments that we will receive. It is better for you to not know and to not do, meaning someone who is out in the street, who is not a Christian, who has never heard the gospel, they're actually in a better place than you. If you know what you need to do, what you ought to do, but you don't do it, you are a unfaithful servant. So the scripture reminds us here today with point number one, that obedience is a must as a steward of Jesus Christ. And that comes from the overflow when we acknowledge Jesus as our master. When I first entered into ministry, I'm not talking about as a pastor, but even as a teacher, as a volunteer. It was for whatever it takes, Lord, whatever. And really, it's been, it's been hard. It's not easy. A lot of mistakes, ups and downs. But what's important is that we get back on track. You may fall out of track, just get back. Because each day he gives us the opportunity, that chance to turn back to him. And we pray, we ask the Lord in prayer each day, Lord, help me to know your heart, you know, to mimic your heart, and to follow your heart. Not my heart, but your heart. And ultimately to have your heart. 
the goal is to have the heart of Christ, to have his heart. Because when we have his heart, and when we know his heart, when we see his heart, and we become familiar with his heart, that's when our lives are changed. It is consumed by his heart, by his desires, not mine. And we live in his heart. And by his heart, we have strength. And we start to change. And we are transformed. And how do we know his heart? We need to be in an intimate relationship with him. On Thursday, I share with you guys a story about you know, how do we get to a place of intimacy with God? You know, I share an example analogy of wrestling or any grappling or any tournament. Any of you who's done wrestling, you understand wrestling is the hardest sport because it involves one-on-one. Yes, it's a team by weight classes, but you go in there one-on-one and your teammates are cheering on, the crowd is cheering on. But in the practice room, you're in an intimate place with the coach. And who is the coach? The master. He is the master of that room. And we become familiar of his voice. Each coach has a different voice, different tune. And when you're in the heat of the battle in that match, when you have no strength and you're sweating like crazy and you can't even see what's in front of you, you're so tired, you're out of breath, your arms feel like noodles, your legs is not functioning. We, out of all the noise of people shouting, we hear intimately the voice of our coach. We hear it. We hear the master's voice and we listen to his voice. When he says, shoot a double, shoot a single, sprawl, we do it. We follow it. Because my body, my feeling is, oh, I'm so tired, I just want to just give up. But he's teaching you and he's guiding you the way. We need to hear his voice today. And God is speaking to us and he's speaking to you. And that's the way we get to know his heart. We become familiar with his way. His ways. We become familiar with his heart and his heart's desire. So no longer my desire becomes number one. My feelings become number one. My popularity, my feelings, I idolize it. But what God wants me to do, that becomes my number one. And that's how we are transformed. I no longer live for myself and for me alone. So many people are doing that. Everybody is doing that. They're all living for themselves. So many people are just living for their family and their family alone. They live for their friends and for them alone. They live for others and for others alone. But for me, I live for God and for God alone. I died to my old ways, and now I am transformed fully, and now I live for the Lord. I no longer live for myself in the way that I used to live, 
When I have vacation time, I did whatever I wanted for myself, but now I live for what? For God, to do his work, to do the work that he has called us to do, because I understand that even though I may be young, I may be in my youth, life is short. Each day is precious, and it is important. I no longer live for myself, but now I live for Christ who loved me and gave himself for me. So normal stewardship begins, number one, when we acknowledge Jesus as our master. Point number two, normal, true Christian stewardship begins, number two, when we are faithful with the little, the little. Can we turn to our neighbor and say, you little? And go, ah, remember the Simpsons? Why you little? Ah. When we are faithful with the little, the small things, things that seem insignificant, but it's the little things that counts the most. Even in any move or any sport, it's the little movement, right? It's the little wrist, that rotation, whatever it may be. It's that foot placement, whatever that little tweak may be. It's the little thing that counts, not the big moves, because it's the little things, the little chain that moves together to form a swing. If one is missing, it will not be effective. So with that, let's turn to Luke chapter 16, verse 1 through 15. So four chapters later, Jesus gives another parable, again on the topic of manager, managers and managing. The heading says the parable of the shrewd manager. Chapter 16, verse 1, it says, Jesus told his disciples there was a rich man whose manager was accused of wasting his possessions. So he called them in and asked them, what is this I hear about you? Give an account of your management because you cannot be manager any longer. The manager said to himself, what shall I do now? It's like you get called in to your boss's office and you're exposed. What shall I do now? My master is taking away my job. I'm not strong enough to dig and I'm ashamed to beg. I know what I'll do so that when I lose my job here, people will welcome me into their houses. So he called in each one of his master's debtors. He asked the first, how much do you owe my master? 900 gallons of olive oil, he replied. The manager told him, take your bill, sit down quickly, and make it 450. Then he asked the second, and how much do you, how much do you owe? A thousand bushels of wheat, he replied. He told him, take your bill and make it 800. The master commended the dishonest manager because he acted shrewdly. For the people of this world are more shrewd in dealing with their own kind than are the people of the light. I tell you, use worldly wealth to gain friends for yourselves so that when it is gone, you will be welcomed into eternal dwellings. Whoever can be trusted with very little, 
can also be trusted with much. And whoever is dishonest with very little will also be dishonest with much. So if you have not been trustworthy in handling worldly wealth, who will trust you with true riches? And if you have not been trustworthy with someone else's property, who will give you property of your own? No one can serve two masters. Either you will hate the one and love the other, or you will be devoted to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve both God and money. Mammon, it says in other translations, the Pharisees who loved money heard all this and were sneering at Jesus. He said to them, you are the ones who justify yourselves in the eyes of others, but God knows your hearts. I'll say it again. God knows your hearts. What people value highly is detestable in God's sight. He's talking about the love of money. And I'll say it again in verse 10. Whoever can be trusted with very little can also be trusted with much. And whoever is dishonest with very little will also be dishonest with much. Again, I always say in our church, whether it's small or big, the system, the way we go about it is the same. And what we can learn from this passage is whether it is a big amount or a small amount, the system is the same. And what a scary passage this is. The scary outcome that will come to those who clown around, who clown on God's callings and responsibilities and his monetary things that he has given us. The scripture tells us that we'll be held accountable for our stewardship. Therefore, letter A. Let's get to our sole point. It says, you will be held accountable. You will. And B, all things will be chronicled. It is recorded. Everything in heaven is recording. Therefore, let us see so abundantly. D, work diligently. And letter E and F is the most important. Worship wholeheartedly and F, pray faithfully. And then we go back to the worldly manner, day-to-day life. We live wisely, letter G, live wisely. But in the midst of all this, we cannot forget letter E and F, which is the most important. We need to worship wholeheartedly. We need to pray faithfully. For that is the anchor that keeps us grounded in the Lord. As everything is recorded, as everything is seen in the eyes of God, may we live faithfully each day, every single day. Yes, salvation is a free gift, but that doesn't mean that it's a free pass, right? It's a free pass to live however you want. Grace is free, but it comes with the cost of humility and repentance and turning to the Lord. We are free, but not free to live in our rebellion and in our stubbornness. And the truth is the redemption that we have received in Christ does not remove us 
from the responsibilities and the accountabilities that we have before our master. Paul tells us in Romans 14 verse 12, each of you, each of us will give an account of ourselves to God. Do you understand that? You need to be able to answer why you did what you did. 1 Corinthians 3, 14-15, if what has been built survives, the builder will receive a reward. If it is burned up, the builder will suffer loss, but yet will be saved, even though only as one escaping through the flames. The only way what we have built will survive is if we are anchored in Jesus Christ. And one day we will give an account for what we did and why. But one thing that I want to equate is just make sure that we understand is that poor stewardship does not mean you lose. It's a loss of salvation. But if you are saved, you will get to a place of good stewardship. So after years of faithful, faithfully coming to church, faithfully serving in the church, and your stewardship is not getting better, then you need to ask yourself, am I a true Christian? Are you even a Christian at all? So really, there's just not one way to look at it. But all we know is with immutable fact, so if you are a true Christian, you will be what? A good steward, not a poor steward. I'm not talking about rich or poor. I'm talking about poorly handling, being a poor manager, not handling well the work that he has given us. We need to make sure that our work will survive. What we have built survives so that we may receive a reward from the Lord. In other words, what we do here on earth with money, I'm talking about money here, with physical, material things is important. It is. It's very important how we spend our money, what we do, giving, clothing, donating money, because money has potential of becoming a controlling influence in our lives. Therefore, we must choose God. The Bible says you cannot serve two masters. You cannot serve both God and money. You cannot tread in the middle. And say you can only serve God. Therefore, we serve God by using our finances and resources. We do not let money control us in our decisions because money is not evil. A lot of people say money is evil. It's the root of all evil. It's, no, the love of money, the desire to idolize money is the root of all evil. It's not money is the root of all evil. And it's, it means greed. But at the end of this parable found here in Luke 16, Jesus is talking to the Pharisees, Pharisees who use their wealth for themselves, right? They use wealth to elevate themselves. They refuse to share their wealth, right? And food with the poor. As Christians, we share, we give, 
because we are not the owner of the things that he has given us. And God sees all your sacrifice and all your giving. Because as you give, the Bible reminds us, God will continue to give and to bless. And that's what money is for, to be used, to be used to further the work of God's kingdom. So don't get too caught up in hoarding because one day, what's it for? It's to be used to spread the work of his work. Hebrews 6.10 reminds us God is not unjust. He will not forget your work. He will not. And the love you have shown him as you have what? Helped his people. And what? Continue to help them. It's not just helping them one time. All right, I'm done for the year. But you continue to help them. So stewardship is not just spiritual, as we talked about earlier. It is also physical. It is material things. Hebrews 13.2 says, Do not forget to show hospitality to strangers. For by doing so, for by so doing, some people have shown hospitality to angels without knowing it. The word for angel, it means messenger. We learn in the book of Revelation. Or messengers without knowing it. First Peter 4.9, offer hospitality to one another without grumbling. So, oh, yes, I could help you. Oh, I hate you. <laughs> when you give, you go, so Rodney's in the city. So, oh, here's a fight. Oh, after you go, oh, hate this guy. Why is he always bothering me every Friday? He's always in that place. But no, we do it with love. You say, God loves you, Jesus loves you. And we do it because, again, we are familiar with God's heart, with his heart. And we do it faithfully. And it's very important that we stay true to ourselves. Some people change their identity every 10 years, right? You ever had a reunion with your friends? They have a new identity every time you see them. They have a new stage that they're going through. But you need to stay true to who you are. You know, the person you were is the person you are today. You know, before I was a pastor, I was literally the same, same individual. But I pray that I grow softer and more gentle and more patient, more loving. But at the same time, you stay true to yourself as who you were in God, as a true Christian. You know, and I'm always reminded of that when I have dinner with maybe an old friend that I haven't seen in years. And I see that so much has changed, but change is not always good. You know, being steadfast is important. Yes, if you're living away from God, then yes, change is needed. But if you're living in the Lord, if you're being faithful and you're steadfast, you need to change for the better, but you remain the core of who you are as who you are. You do not let titles get to your head or trophies get to your head. But we must stay steadfast in our character and in our discipline each and every single day. So here are some examples as I'm closing with this point. 
How do we live each day faithfully with what God has entrusted with us with? So here are some practical ways that we can. Uh, we use wisely the money, the resources that God has given us. We'll have our financial uh, catch-up, our meeting uh, soon, uh, in the beginning of the year. And I pray that we would be faithful in using our resources. So here are some examples. So for example, in seminary, uh, there were bags that were made by uh, escaped women who were in the sex trade. And the bags that they made, it would go straight to them and it would help the people, the Christian organization in need. And I remember I got people involved, my friends, you know, just whoever I knew, and I said, hey, are you interested? And then I went into, I got some money, or I paid in advance, I got a bunch of bags, and we gave them away, and we spread the good news. In that matter, it could be even a small thing like that. You know, we could give 10% of our income, or more, to God. It doesn't matter, but you give not out of compulsion, but you give out of the generosity of your heart, what you have chosen to give. You can go through your closet, going through things that we own, be giving them away to those who may need it, who are in greater need, not because we're better than them, or not that we're giving them handouts, but simply because we give them what we can, because God has blessed us with, and we give to them, good things, like especially in the yard sale, we will find sometimes like, like underwear, like not, it's like questionable, is it used or not? It's like, why would you donate that kind of stuff? But sometimes we see amazing things, like, whoa, they actually donated this? And then Ronnie would wear it and walk away. He would buy it for $2. And they'd be like, it's $2. And I was like, please, can I get it for five cents, please? He would bargain his way. No, I'm just joking. But you get my point. We give back to God by giving back to his people with the right heart. But ultimately, we give with the conviction that God gives us. We use wisdom and discernment, right? Especially if you're a female, be careful. Like in the alley, right? just because you want to help this homeless person, you go through this dangerous alley by yourself and take that risk. No, that's not wise either. You got to be wise with this. You got to go with the conviction that comes from the Holy Spirit. Why do we do this? Because we cannot take anything with us with a U-Haul truck. And at the same time, there's nothing wrong with saving money either, putting money away for a college fund, investments, putting things away. But the key is, but the moment our love, and I'll say it again, our love. I'm not talking about money. I'm talking about our love for money comes before our faith, before God. Again, is God or money, you need to check yourself. Because the moment we follow the money, we lose ourselves. But the moment we follow God, we find ourselves, and money is secondary. And we need to bring ourselves back to a place of humility. That's what good stewardship 
is having a good balance between saving and giving. And it takes discipline. I mean, it takes practice. You know, we all need to work on it. You know, I'm speaking to myself. And we need to always remember that no matter how many computers, cars, iPads, shoes or purses, whatever we may have, in death and in judgment, we'll be stripped naked. It is just us and the Lord. We'll probably just have a hospital garment that we wear. Everything is bare under. Just you feel naked. And we're reminded in First Timothy 6, 7, as it says here, for we brought nothing into the world and we could take nothing out of it. That is a real statement. That is a true reality check. You know, you think that you own what we're wearing, what we have right now, but naked we come and naked we will depart. That's what a good story is. You realize, you, you know that you can't take it with you. That's what a good story is. You have nothing that you can take with you to eternity other than your relationship, the mark of the cross in your life. So be faithful with the little things. It is very important. And these are the little things that we do, the examples that I shared earlier. And lastly, uh, ending with this, point number three, normal stewardship begins... Number three, when we live each day with eternal perspective. Amen. Amen. In other words, with eternity in mind. With eternity in mind. Everything in life has a cause and effect, right? What you sow, you reap. That's how the law of the world works, the law of nature. You sow and you reap. What you sow is what you get. What are you sowing in your life right now? If you're sowing to the things of this world, then that's all you will receive. If you sow poison, you'll reap poison. But if you sow the things of God and have the things of God, you'll reap eternal blessings. Just like the quote, even in the movie, it says, what we do here on earth will echo through eternity. And that is true. What we do now is very important because it will stay with us for all of eternity. And there are only two ends and consequences. And there are only two different groups. It's one or the other. Letter A, the individual who is faithful and diligent it's either you are an, an individual who is faithful and diligent or versus B, the individual who is lethargic and lazy, who wastes time, who is a slugger. That's what it means. Lethargic means you are a slugger. You get nothing done. You are just a talker.
Matthew 25, verse 31 through 46. Uh, this is very important for us to remember. And we are all familiar with this passage. I hope so. I hope that you don't forget this passage in your day-to-day life. It talks about the sheep and the goats. Sheep, animals by nature, sheep are what? Submissive? Not that, kind of, not that smart, right? But they follow the shepherd well. You know, I shared a story about you with sheep falling into a cliff and the other, the shepherds were away. The second sheep, third sheep, they just continue following until they all ended up dying, falling off the cliff. So really be careful who your shepherd is. Goats, on the other hand, are kind of shrewd. They're kind of smart. They're stubborn. Right? They have horns, and you know, they're prone to fight, fighting. And the Bible makes it very clear that we need to be on the side of the sheep. You know, it's okay that we are not that bright, but as long as we are what? Following our master. So in this passage, Jesus says here in Matthew 25, starting in verse 31, he says, When the Son of Man comes in his glory and all the angels with him, he will sit on his glorious throne. All the nations will be gathered before him, meaning every individual will be in front of him. And he will separate the people from one from another as a shepherd separates the sheep from the goats. He will put the sheep on his right and the goats on his left. Then the king will say to those on his right, Come, you who are blessed by my father, take your inheritance. The kingdom prepared for you since the creation of the world. For I was hungry, and you gave me something to eat. I was thirsty, and you gave me something to drink. I was a stranger, and you invited me in. I needed clothes, and you clothed me. I was sick, and you looked after me. I was in prison, and you came to visit me. Whenever we do nursing home, I remember this passage. I was in prison, and you came to visit me. Verse 37, then the righteous will answer him, Lord, when did we see you hungry and feed you or thirsty and give you something to drink? When did we see you a stranger and invite you in or needing clothes and clothe you? When did we see you sick or in prison and go to visit you? The king will reply, truly I tell you, whatever you did for one of the least of these brothers, it's talking about the ones who cannot help themselves, least of these brothers, sisters of mine, you did for me. And when I read that, I'm not thinking, oh, I am so much greater and younger, and I can do all these things, and they're under me. No, not at all. Because one day I will be in that place and at the end of the day, what I have with the responsibility and the calling you have given me, yes, Lord, I'll be faithful in what you have called me to do. So what is the Lord, what has the Lord called you to do in your life right now? Then he will say to those on his left, depart from me. And that is a scary, the scariest statement that you ever hear. Depart from me. 
You who are what? Cursed into the eternal fire prepared for the devil and his angels. For I was hungry and you gave me nothing to eat. I was thirsty and you gave me nothing to drink. I was a stranger and you did not invite me in. I needed clothes and you did not clothe me. I was sick in prison and you did not look after me. They also will answer, Lord, when do we see you hungry or thirsty? Or a stranger or needing clothes or sick or in prison did not help you. He will reply, truly I tell you, whatever you did not do for one of the least of these, you did not do for me. Then they will go away to eternal punishment, but the righteous to eternal life. So this is what I'm trying to say about the word normal. If you're a normal Christian, a normal steward, the fruit of your life is what? That you will honor God with your time, with your resources, with being a good manager. If you are not a good manager, you have grown apathetic. You have grown lukewarm. You have gone to the side of the goats. All it takes so for some of us, some of us may be on the spectrum on all the way to the right, but some of us were like right in the middle area where we're still on the right side, but you're still on the border. All it takes is one slip, one fall, and you will end up on the left. Some of you are one step away from getting to the left side. But God is a God of justice. He is a fair God. If you are able to hear this message today, you have a chance right now to break through the crowd. Just break through and get to the far right as possible. Just get through it. Maybe push someone away, sacrifice that person, and then you can get, no, I'm just joking, don't do that. It's like, get out of here. <laughs> They're on the ghost, I know. Right now, it's important. We need to serve God by serving his people. So to the person who invests in his or her talents, talents, time, resources, by helping those who are in need, you will be blessed and rewarded. But to the person who hinders, who hates, and has no heart for the kingdom work, and does not use his or her talents, resources, to help those in need, it says you will be cursed, sped out, and cast out. There is no coming back for you unless you repent and turn to the Lord with humility. God will and shall, and he has to because he is a holy God. He has no choice. He will separate the pretenders and fakers from those who are true followers of Jesus Christ. You can try hiding behind your chief friend, but you cannot hide before God. For God sees everyone. His eyes are on every individual. Are you a true obedient Christian? That's the question. Are you a true steward Christian? Are you a normal Christian steward? Normal Christian stewardship is the key. It's so crucial to the Christian life. To those who have, 
and are faithful to those who are not and have not been faithful. How do we get there? Repent. The book of Revelation tells us, consider how far you have fallen. Repent and do the things you did at first. If you do not repent, I will come to you and remove your lampstand from this place. The seven churches, they all get a warning and judgment. But may we, as this message is falling upon all churches right now, around the globe, consider how far you have fallen. It's time to repent and to do the things we did at first. If you do not repent, I will come to you, remove your lampstand from its place. So repent, it's time to go to work. Number two, it's time to go to work. And it's time to rest. It's a cycle, it's a circle back. You repent, you go to work, and then you rest. And then you continue on the cycle. And that's what a good steward is. To have the kingdom principle means to circle back to the cycle of repentance, going to work, and resting in Christ. And after getting rest, we get back to work, we repent, and we continue in that cycle of life. It needs to pump from your heart into your veins, to the bloodstreams. And when we do that, we become a faithful steward as we patiently wait for his return. And we work diligently. And wherever God has placed you in, we stay faithful and we stay consistent and we stay committed. Back when nursing home started, when a good friend of mine passed away, they would look for pastors to come and help with the ministry once a month. And sometimes they would say every three months or six months, and they would try to avoid, because I guess it's a difficult commitment. But for me, I don't find it difficult at all. You know, it's, it's a joy to do it. And I'm reminded again of Matthew 25, that it's part of the fruit of being a Christian, of wanting to do those things. And I'm not saying this for those who are not able, because some of us, we can't, even if you want to. But make sure your heart is there, and make sure you support in other ways, with missions and other ways. There are always other ways. There are many ways we can serve God. So I pray that you'll be faithful in serving the Lord in your work. Amen? Amen. God has blessed you so much tremendously. You know, each one of you, you're unique. Uh, you cannot compare your circumstance to the person next to you, for that is a different person. But you need to understand that God wants you to be content in where God has called you to be and where you are right now because he loves you. He's not an unfair God, right? He is a good God. He is a good father. 
and we need to trust in Him. And even though this journey, some of us may be in a desert, and it is difficult, you need to remember that we need to be faithful even in the desert because what you do in the desert is going to lead to your destination. What was the destination for the Israelites? They wandered off for 40 years. God was patient with them. He wasn't purposely making them, blocking the way like I see Ronnie do with ants. He like blocks their way. He does this. He puts water there and then, and then he crushes them. He's not a mean God, but simply they wander around the desert because they were rebellious. But God, every time he provided a way for them to come back to him. So I want to challenge you here today. Turn to the Lord. Be faithful. And let us get to the promised land. Amen. Amen. And with that, I want to invite the praise team to come up. And as the song declares, with the title, All Heaven Declares, may we turn to God with thanksgiving at this moment. And let's just turn everything onto the Lord. And as we sing this, and as we pray to him, may it be our worship and our true prayer in our heart for the Lord. Amen? And with that, I want to invite you to pray. And when you're ready, you can go ahead and join us as we are singing this song. But let us pray and worship together today. Heavenly Father, just want to thank you for loving us, for caring for us. The glory of the Sure, manage using calculations and not being faithful. Forever, he will the responsibilities be God gave laid upon us here in this place. Pray, God, that I will follow you wholeheartedly, Lord. I gladly Jesus, come and teach us. Forever he 
stand to our feet, sing to the all heaven declares. Thank you for reminding us here today of what it means to be a normal steward of the kingdom of God, what it means to set the standard and to follow you and to follow the standard that you have placed upon us in our lives. I pray, not just as an individual, but as a church, there will be faithful managers and stewards of your word. I pray that we will follow you faithfully that we will trust in you, and that we will rely on you. Holy Spirit, strengthen us and reignite our passion, a passion for your name, for your kingdom, and for your glory. May your name be glorified here in this place. Even though this message was a little bit long, we just observe every word, every thought, every heart, especially that was spoken in today's message. We soak it all in, Lord, so that when we are oozed out, we ooze out the presence of God, the living word of God. We thank you. We love you. We give you all the glory and all the honor. Pray all these things in your precious Son, Jesus Christ, let me pray. And all of God's people pray. Amen. Amen. And amen. amen. Let's close our service with our final song. The Path of Life in Jesus. Sing it one time. And it closes up with benediction. Let us sing together.
Go back to our seat and let's again turn to our neighbor and say, you little. Just joking. <laughs> But again, be reminded of what it means to be a normal Christian steward. Amen? Amen? Amen. All right, with that, if you could bow your heads with me and let's close the service with the benediction. Let us pray together. Heavenly Father, do not remember the sins of our youth and our rebellious ways. But according to your love, remember us. For you, Lord, are good. And now to him who is able to keep us from stumbling, present you blameless, pure, and holy before his presence. And may we know and encounter the unending love of the Father. And may the Lord continue to pursue after you, guide you, and lead you forevermore. And as God's people we pray, amen, amen. and amen. amen. All right, God bless you. I love you. I will see you all in the back. God bless you.